are genuinely afraid. When events take place that are well beyond your control, how do you cope with that? Uh, one of the men I got to know uh, through my theological study in Australia uh, was a guy called Dave Andrew. Dave Andrews was uh, a complete character. This is a picture of Dave when he visited us when I was pastoring a church in America. And uh, Dave, uh, his, his day job was a sort of business consultant in the mining industry in Australia. On the side, he used to love doing a cabaret show to take it around the clubs, the RSL clubs. He had this Elvis impersonator st st stuff. He always had us in stitches. He was always joking around a real character. And he, he and his a buddy, he told me once that they were just complete hypochondriacs. Anytime they had a slight sniffle or a cold, they sort of made some nervous jokes about uh, maybe he's got a brain tumor or something, and they would laugh sort of darkly and nervously until the day when actually he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Actually, being Dave, he still made jokes about it. Um, but I'll never forget what Dave said uh, was going through his mind as they wheeled him towards the operating room. He's about to meet the anesthetist for this uh, operation. The, the, the tumor was in an area where actually it could have gone either way. And I wonder what would be going through your mind if you were on that trolley going in to have a tumor taken out of your brain. What would comfort and strengthen you in that situation? This is what went through David's mind. It's from the Bible, and it's about Jesus. On the third day, he was raised. That's what kept going through his mind. On the third day, he was raised. And it gave him a real comfort and peace as he went into this operation. See, for the Christian, it's not some vague hope or fairy tale wistfulness that sustains you, but the knowledge that your hope is rooted in the historical events that Matthew records for us in the Gospel. So please open up your Bibles again to page 1000. It took me to the second service to get Craig's joke, one more than his number. I, I'm that slow. Ah, oh, 999. Some of you are just getting it now, aren't you? But there we are. So open up to page 1,000. And what Matthew does is he underlines some essential facts. Fact number one, Jesus was died and was buried. This actually is a controversial point. Um, Islam rejects this. According to the Quran, Surah 4, 157, it says that Jesus did not die and was not crucified. Uh, Riaz Muhammad, one of our members, on Thursday night at our communion service, he was sharing about how he was raised in an Islamic family. And this is certainly what he was taught growing up, that uh, crucifixion was a far too terrible thing, that, that, that God would not allow uh, Jesus, the prophet, as Islam sees him, uh, would not allow the prophet to experience such a thing. But that comes up to being challenged by really the evidence of history and, and the witness of the New Testament documents that... Let me just show you here that Jesus really died and was raised. Matthew punctuates his account with these eyewitnesses of these women. Uh, look at chapter 27, verse 55. Many women were there watching from a distance. They'd followed Jesus from Galilee. They're watching him being crucified, by the way. That's what the section's just come before. 
Many, many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's son. So Mary from this fishing village of Magdala in Galilee, Mary the mother of jo James and Joseph, who's most likely to be the mother of Jesus, who went on to have other children, mother of Zebedee's sons, uh, James and John, we're told elsewhere her name is Salome. So these, uh, these women were watching, amongst them were these three women, and uh, two of them witnessed him also being buried. Look at uh, verse 61. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Now, why does Matthew stress these eyewitnesses? This is quite fascinating that he picks these as eyewitnesses. If you were going to fabricate a story, um, you would not pick women to be the eyewitnesses. In the first century culture, uh, the testimony of women, uh, there was a lower view of women that they, uh, you, you wouldn't have, uh, th their testimony was not worth the same as a man in that culture. And so if you were making up a story in the first century, you would not be picking women to be the testimony, uh, the eyewitnesses. And you certainly wouldn't be picking these women. I mean, Mary, Jesus' mother, and Mary Magdalene with a bit of a dodgy reputation in her day. So why mention these women? Well, quite simply this, because they were the first eyewitnesses. This is an historical event that's being portrayed here, that's being told. If there's any doubt about the certainty of his death, Matthew gives, you, gives us more evidence. Verse 57, as evening approached, there, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, placed it in his own new tomb. They cut out the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance and went away. Now, it was actually unusual for crucifixion uh, to result in death so quickly. It could take days for some people to die. In Mark's account, we are told that uh, Pilate, the Roman governor, was skeptical to hear that he had died. And so he asked the centurion who conducted the execution to check that did he really die. The Romans were skilled in many things and they really prided themselves on being skilled at killing people. And uh, these soldiers, their reputation, in fact, their very lives were on the line if they didn't follow through correctly. The centurion who's involved double checks, yes, he's really died. And on that basis, the body is released. Joseph Aram Arimathea, it's quite striking. He, he was uh, one of the Sanhedrin we learn elsewhere a very sort of famous man in his day, a, a, a wealthy man. He would have had an influence. How else would you be able to just go into Pilate's presence and ask for the body? It's kind of the equivalent maybe of a, of a well-known MSP or something like that. Uh, people would have known where his, um, his tomb was, which is significant as you think about the events that followed. But anyway, Joseph manages to get the body, and he buries the body of Jesus. And the point really is being underlined in this way. Pontius Pilate, the centurion, the soldiers, Joseph, Arimathea, the women were absolutely certain that Jesus died. The chief priests and Pharisees were also clear that Jesus had died. Their main concern was um, to prevent the disciples from uh, going and stealing the body and falsely claiming that Jesus had risen from the dead. Look how they speak to Pilate in verse 63. Uh, Sir, they said, um, 
We remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So they knew this claim of Jesus. Perhaps they'd heard it through Judas. And as those who had rejected Jesus' claim to be the Messiah, they certainly didn't want a fake resurrection being proclaimed. And so Pilate allows them to set a guard on the tomb and make the tomb, and I think here is a, is a, a bit of sarcasm from Pilate, make the tomb as secure as you know how. And all of this means that when we come to chapter 28, what we're talking about is not resuscitation of a wounded man, but the resurrection of the dead. So Jesus was died and was buried. Second bit of evidence, the tomb was empty. This is what we got in the first seven verses of chapter 28. The account reverts back to the women following uh, the Saturday Sabbath. These same women who had watched Jesus being buried in this tomb returned to the same tomb, but what they saw uh, would have been very hard to take in. The large stone that covered the tomb rolled away. A bright, shining angel in white clothes sitting on the stone, and the temple guards so frightened at the sight. The Apple Watch is a strange, eh? Gonna take that off, put it away somewhere. I must, it must sound like I was saying Siri. And the temple guards so frightened that they're sort of, they're, they're like dead men on the ground at the sight of what they witnessed. They'd witnessed the earthquake. They'd seen an angel of the Lord come down. I think that'd be pretty terrifying. Now, angels don't appear very often in the Bible. They only occur at very significant points, and they come bringing revelation. I've never seen an angel, and I know this for a fact, because whenever people met angels in the Bible, people are basically terrified. And you know this because the first thing the angel always says is, don't be afraid, right? Now, I've never been terrified by the sight of, a, of an angel or a person in white clothes uh, who's bought something from white stuff, I don't know. But uh, I, I, I've never been, so I don't think I've met an angel. But the angel comes not to let Jesus out, but actually to allow the women to look in and see the empty tomb, which they do. And he passes on this revelation to them, verse 5. The angel said to the women, chapter 28, verse 5, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Yes, this man from Nazareth, the one that you've been following these past three years, he was killed. He really was buried uh, in this tomb. You've got the right address, but the body's not here anymore because he has risen. And as they head off to the disciples this, from this message from heaven that just is an earthquake message for all of humanity and all of history, they then have a personal encounter with the resurrected Christ. And this is the other major strand of evidence you need to weigh up as you consider this claim. Not only was the tomb empty, uh, which is a well-attested fact in history, but many, many people testified to seeing the risen Jesus. These were the first ones, verse 9 of chapter 28. Suddenly Jesus met them, greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet. I think this is significant because um, some people will say, uh, well, it doesn't matter that it was a physical resurrection. You know, as maybe the disciples just had warm thoughts about Jesus and he was kind of so real in their hearts that Jesus was kind of alive to them and spiritually alive in that way. Well, that's not New Testament Christianity. 
This is a real resurrected body. They grabbed hold of his feet and they worshipped him. Well, you would do, wouldn't you, if you'd just seen someone who was crucified, raised from the dead. This has profound implications for who you're dealing with. Well, think about it next Sunday, about the implications of the authority of this person and the place you should have in your life. So you can come back for more implications next week on that. But Jesus says to them, uh, do not be afraid. This is the message of Easter day, isn't it? Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, for there they will see me. This is the first of um, hundreds of different people citing the resurrected Jesus. Uh, individuals saw him in different situations. They saw him in different places. This is not a hallucination. This is not sort of um, people desperately hoping he would be alive. Nobody expected him to be alive. You'll read that in the accounts. They, the, the, the disciples, when they first heard the women's report, well, you can't trust women, they thought. You know, we don't believe it. They weren't expecting this to happen need to go to the two themselves to check it out. This is the point. Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, has been raised. History is very clear on this, very clear on the empty tomb, and very clear that from the earliest days, the followers of Jesus were utterly convinced that they had met Jesus resurrected from the dead. My friends, uh, if this was a fabricated lie, would they have held it right through their lives, which were difficult lives. Many of them were martyrs for their faith. Uh, Charles Colson was uh, one of the key advisors of Richard Nixon in the Watergate scandal. Uh, it eventually led to Nixon resigning as a president of the United States, and he was in on the conspiracy to cover up. Um, and uh, he, he famously has said, you know, 12 of the smartest men in America could not keep the lie for more than 40 days. The fact that the disciples maintained their conviction that Jesus was raised up to their very deaths puts it beyond doubt for me that he really was raised. Now, people have tried to undermine this claim. We've been thinking about that. Uh, in the 19th century, uh, Dr. Simon Greenleaf was the professor of law at Harvard University. He was famously skeptical of Christianity and was challenged to evaluate it on the basis of established legal principles. And he wrote this later. To the laws of legal evidence, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is proven by more substantial evidence than any other event of ancient history. Richard Swinburne, an emeritus professor of philosophy at the University of Oxford, published in 2003 a book, The Resurrection of God Incarnate, where somehow he came up with this figure. I don't know how he came up with this percentage, but he reckoned that there was a 92% probability from the evidence that Jesus did rise from the dead. Well, you can check out the book how he got to that percentage. It was persuasive enough for a detective from Edinburgh to come to accept the resurrection, as you heard earlier today from Craig. Now, what I want us to consider in the remaining time we've got here is the significance of the resurrection. There are two great questions as you come to the Bible. The what question, what is it saying? And the so what question, what does it mean? So what does Matthew give us as the so what? Well, I think it's in the message of the angel in verse 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. An empty tomb and his women are told, go and tell. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is news of great hope that has to be shared. 
Go quickly. Uh, Don't let people stew in their despair. Both the angel and Jesus said, tell my disciples. Imagine what life was like for these disciples on the Saturday, on the Sabbath day, before this Sunday event. It had appeared that all the hopes that the disciples had, that this Jesus was the longed-for and promised Messiah, had come to nothing as he was crucified and died on a cross. They'd followed him for three years. They'd banked everything on him, and it must have seemed as if it was all empty, hopeless, and a waste. On top of that, they had the compounded sense of guilt that when Jesus had his greatest need, they had deserted him. They'd ran away. Peter, kind of the main leader, had denied Jesus not once, not twice, three times. I never knew him. How those those words must have just haunted him on that Sabbath day. At his greatest point of need, they deserted and denied him. And so that resurrection morning is a morning of great hope of a fresh start, isn't it? I don't know whether you've ever been in the middle of a project and it's just gone disastrously wrong. I've attempted various DIY projects and I've had this experience. Have you had it? It's just gone completely wrong and you just groan. You think, oh, I just wish I could scrub the whole thing and start again. And I've met people who feel that about their lives, people in their 30s and 40s and 50s. They look at their lives and they think, what a mess. Oh, how did I ever end up here? I wish I could start again. Start clean. Now I want to suggest to you that the significance of the resurrection is this, that Jesus Christ offers us a fresh start because he was raised from the dead. It offers great hope of forgiveness. The angel says, go tell the disciples what Jesus say go tell my brothers these uh, could easily have been the words over the lives of these disciples sinners failures hopeless but the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ transforms the lives of these disciples completely and they've got a message now to pass on The women must tell them, go quickly, tell them. You've got to let them know. There's hope of a fresh start. There's hope for forgiveness. Go tell my brothers how wonderful those words must have been. Uh, You can imagine, uh, Jesus says he wants to see you. Go and tell my brothers. Hear the grace in those words. You see a bloodied cross and an empty tomb still holds out amazing hope to moral failures today however dark and difficult your circumstances are today the message of easter is this there's a fresh start that's possible jesus was going ahead of them as their savior the one who'd offered his very body and blood so that their sins could be forgiven they could be cleansed and made right with god he's going ahead of them as their lord we're going to hear about this more next week who is alive and can lead them through their life on into life eternal. The resurrection gives us great uh, confidence of a fresh start, of forgiveness, but also of a future. 
Not only can the sins be forgiven, not only do we have a leader in the present, but we have the certainty of, of, of life in the future. Is there life beyond death? The resurrection says yes. It proves it beyond doubt. This is what uh, sustained my friend, David Andrews, as he was uh, being taken into the operating room. The, the surgery went reasonably well. They got most of the tumor out. And uh, they encouraged him to go for a big holiday. He came out to visit us in America. It was great to spend time with Dave. And, um, but after about four or five months, the tumor started regrowing. And it eventually killed him. Uh, but I heard um, that those who visited David towards the end, that he'd basically got a big box of books written by a friend called John Chapman, uh, who is a, is a great guy for sharing the gospel. And uh, it was a book explaining the good news of, of what Jesus had done. And uh, David had, in, had basically signed up Chapo to preach at his funeral. And he was just handing out books to doctors and nurses, and everyone saying, look, you've got to read this guy and come and hear him at my funeral. Because he wasn't facing death, cowering and afraid, but with genuine hope and confidence that there was life beyond because his Savior and Lord had already gone ahead, was raised from the dead. Think about those words that the angel said. He is risen just as he said. Just as he said, the angel said. To, to remind them that uh, Jesus had told them on multiple occasions that he had to go up to Jerusalem, he was going to suffer, um, he was going to be killed, and then on the third day he would rise again. And it took place just as he said. Now he said other things. He said he was going to be returning again to, uh, as a glorious king. And on that day, everybody would be who is dead would be raised to resurrection life and it's the great judgment day and those who kept refusing and rejecting uh, uh, Christ well they will be shut out of his eternal kingdom forever those who've come to Jesus received his forgiveness uh, asked him to be king over their lives well what a great day that is going to be uh, there are stories earlier in Matthew that describe it like a, a great wedding banquet Everyone loves going to a wedding banquet, don't they? Somebody else is paying. Great food, lots of fun, lots of banter, and someone else is paying for the food. Everyone loves a wedding banquet. What is the kingdom going to be like? Well, it's going to be like an eternal, everlasting, heavenly banquet where you will dine with the king. And it says uh, he, we will receive our inheritance, that of eternal life. And uh, we have a, a, a king who delights to give great rewards for the least amount of work on our ends. He gives extravagant rewards. What a day that will be for all who have already acknowledged him as Lord and Savior. They're looking forward to their death and they're looking forward to that day. Martin Luther married a, uh, a nun called Catherine uh, Katharina Van Bora, Katie. Uh, there was a nunnery that shut down because of the Reformation and he encouraged his monks to marry the nuns and she was the last one left over. So he said, well, I might as well marry you. It was actually a very loving, it was a great marriage. Uh, she was an intelligent woman. She was his equal in many ways. Um, and uh, she was a great brewer of beer. He, lots of letters saying, Katie, I'm away from home. I'm missing your beer. 
and these sort of things. Anyway, uh, Luther was a very passionate man. He was uh, also a man who could know great despondencies and lows. And uh, once Martin was so depressed that none of Kate's counsel would help, so she put on a black dress and sat with him at a mealtime. And he noticed and said, are you going to a funeral? No, Katie replied, but since you act like God is dead, I wanted to join you in your mourning. Well, smart wife, eh? He got the message. You need to shape up. My despondent Christian friend, have you forgotten this? Jesus is alive. Don't be afraid. Christ is risen. There is great hope. See, when we grasp this gospel of Jesus Christ, we do really have good news to share to a world that desperately needs forgiveness and actually is, is, has no hope in the shadow of death. And so what will our response be to the empty tomb and the risen Christ? The, the women head off, afraid yet full of joy, and they go and share the good news. The guards go off pretty frightened by their encounter. And pretty frightened that they have to report the fact that they only had one job, which was to stop a dead body getting out of a tomb, and they failed miserably. So they go to the, the, the chief priests and the elders. They report exactly what they happened, what they saw, earthquake, angelic host. And the, the religious leaders said, oh, we got it wrong. Jesus is the Messiah. We need to repent and trust him. Is that what you read? I find this fascinating. They had eyewitness testimony of the events that took place, and yet they reject it totally. You know, sometimes rejecting Christianity is not about evidence. The evidence is pretty good. It's just that we have such a commitment to another worldview where it just gets far too complicated to accept this whole idea that Jesus really was the Messiah, the Son of God that he really died for my sins, that he was really raised to life and is returning again. Actually, that rocks my world too much. It's too inconvenient. La, 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 la. Now, let's just pay, the, the, pay them lots of money to keep quiet. Come up with some sort of story. Yeah, yeah, tell them that the disciples um, stole the body while you were asleep. Now, can you imagine John Humphreys on Radio 4 interviewing the guards? How long would this testimony last? So the tomb was empty. Oh, yeah, 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 it was empty, yeah. And, uh, and you're saying that uh, the disciples, uh, that you were asleep. Yeah, yeah, we were asleep. And you're saying the disciples stole the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you know it was the disciples when you were asleep? Uh, you know, it doesn't last very long. It's, not, it's, it's, a, it's just not a very good story, is it? But somehow fake news can travel. We see this with social media today. Now, sometimes it's just too inconvenient to believe that he rose from the dead. But my friends, if you understand this, this, is, this changes everything. This is earthquake in human history time. And so what is our response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Are we sharing it? Or are we silencing all talk of this resurrection? Are we going to rely on this resurrected Jesus? Or are we going to just sort of simply reject him? too inconvenient there is no greater news than this there's forgiveness a fresh start is possible 
There's a king and savior to lead you through your life. There's real security and hope in the face of death. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified for our sins on the third day according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised according to the scriptures. We'd love to give you all a copy of this. Uh, if you're convinced, read it. You'll be encouraged. Hand out to someone who's not convinced. If you're not convinced, have a good hard think about it. We'd love to talk about it some more. Come speak to us. Let's pray.